Hey, we come to destruct and destroy. We came in the building for one reason, to make 70,000 go dead ass silent. Let's go. D-line on three, one, two, three. Welcome in, everybody, to your Wednesday, September 14th episode of the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we are talking about a bevy of different Browns topics. Before we get to our guest today, I want to remind you of things we have going on at the OBR, both yesterday and upcoming for your Wednesday evening. We had so many things go up after this this, uh, past weekend where the Browns won 26-24 in Carolina. I'm talking thoughts from almost everybody on the staff. I wrote up coverage issues. I wrote up... um, you know, all 22 notes that's up for you to consume today from both sides of the football. Lane Atkins dropped some of his latest that he's gathered from his intel. We have analytics covered from the game. Who stood out there? We've got the Brown signing of Thomas Graham and his athletic profile up for you, a stock up, stock down from the game from Jack Duffin. We've got power rankings up. We've got ATI roundup, if there's any questions that are worth noting. And then last night I did a chalk talk that ran from about 7 to 8.30 where we cover the offensive line, the rest of the offense's performance, and then we look at the defense with John Stephenson. So uh, plenty, plenty of things going on at the website and on Twitch for you to find. Uh, you'll also find your OBR Weekly Show on Twitch tonight, so you can check that out with Barry McBride and Fred Greetham as they answer all of your questions and take some questions from the website as well. So like I said, check that out. That's at the OBR's Twitch. A reminder, we will not be doing a Thursday airing of Playback, they uh, have not quite yet worked out this, the system and kinks with Amazon Prime. They hope to have that set up in the next few weeks so we can do some live Thursday night football stuff, especially next week when the Browns are on prime time uh, with, not you know, obviously not this Thursday, but next Thursday they are hosting the Steelers on Thursday night football. So we hopefully, hopefully have that squared away by then. That would be great so that we can all get together. Uh, regardless, we will keep you posted on all of that stuff. We have a good show today. I'm trying to get some regular guests, and I think I've got a couple that are going to be really good for our every week. I think about three. Uh, if you did not check out yesterday's podcast, I went solo with uh, all of my uh, all 22 notes. Uh, it was a little late because things got a little wild in my life the evening before, so I couldn't record it the evening before. But it is up for your consumption. It has notes and scouting takeaways and everything I do, all the insight. It's about 40 minutes of me talking about all the data, all the performances. It's all there, so you could check that out. Today, uh, every Wednesday, you're going to get Jared Mueller, who is uh, Mr. Browns. He's everywhere. He does a bunch of different things, currently with the USA Today Network. Uh, Jared is going to, like I said, join me every Wednesday, and we're going to come up with a fun angle for this show every Wednesday where we have some, we'll call them burning Browns questions, takeaways from the game, sometimes big picture, sometimes small stuff, like immediate reactions to a game. But I think there's a good framing here of questions that I think either are floating out there in the ether or takeaway based questions where we just kind of have to ask ourselves for good or bad, something about a player coach or, or the organization itself. So that's kind of going to be our angle, burning Browns questions uh, every Wednesday. So Jared, welcome in, man. Welcome to the new topic. Uh, hey, I appreciate it. Looking forward to being with you all all season long. We're going to we're going to chop it up. 
Uh, yeah, it'll be great. I think there's a lot of stuff to always get to by Wednesday. You're still focused on the last game. It's about your last day of thinking about the week before, before your mind starts to jump ahead. So I think it's a good time to talk about things that have happened and sort of look forward a little bit too. So we'll, we'll do a little bit of both when we have these shows. Before we get to the the questions Jared and I have constructed for today, I do want to talk about the the, the, the spike gate i guess might be the way to say it because people in carolina are very upset and they should be i originally jared thought that there's no reason for them to be upset he clearly stumbled or slipped and just didn't spike the ball but my man i went back and rewatched it and i am always the first to admit when i am wrong about anything i know you don't believe that you probably some of you who don't like me think i'm a know-it-all but if i'm wrong i will admit i'm wrong and and this one i was wrong if you watch it okay two Plays before the final spike, the first down, they get that first down. I think, did it go to DPJ? It did, right? On a second and long. They get up to the line, they clock it. Now, here's what happens. This is what I know from football experience I've had in my life. If you watch Jacoby Brissett's spike, he doesn't, you traditionally think a spike is you step back and you spike it, like you almost full throw into the ground uh, from sometimes a short angle, but he doesn't doesn't do that. He takes the football and almost two-hand pushes it into the ground. Now, you have to make sure it's out in front of you. It's a very tight angle, but if it's out in front of you, it's just like a touch pass, right? Or you, you know, if you if you got a guy in jet motion right in front of you and you touch pass it to him and he drops it, it's just an incomplete pass. That's the thing people always get screwed up. It's not like a jet handoff where if it's bobbled, that's a fumble. People started going to the jet toss. I think the Chiefs in the NFL do it a ton. They started doing that because then it's just an incomplete pass if there's a bobble on the exchange. It's not a big deal. That's what he did. He takes it and literally doesn't even stand up, takes it, steps a little bit back and shoves it into the ground. Now, if you watch it from the other angle, um, the second one, he actually takes it, does that same motion, which looked like from the TV view a bobble, but it wasn't, steps back, uh, attempting to throw it, and then very quickly, I'll give credit to (laughs) Brissett, very quickly realizes he can't throw it and just spikes it. And and it almost saved him because it looked like he stumbled or fell. And I think that gave him some benefit of the doubt as to not gaining an advantage. But let me tell you what, my friend, he was trying to gain an advantage. Did you think this is what he was doing at first? Cause at first I was pretty annoyed by the call and the, the flag in, in general. Yeah. When I first saw it, it looked like a stumble. It looked like something was off. And then when you look at it, like you did, and I think you did a great job of cutting that film up real quick, but when you just, you just look at it slowly, he looks smooth into everything except the rushed actual spike like everything else looked like comfortable smooth no stumble no uh difficulty none of that kind of stuff so um yeah so that's kind of you're like wait he did that all of that on purpose yep so well sort of here's what i know okay from from again playing days being at coaching clinics things like that we always had two calls so when we wanted to clock the ball spike it we it's just a term you use clock it we would call fire that meant to actually spike it or clock it when we called clock and this is again this is yelled in from the sidelines you're either yelling fire 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 or clock 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 we had a deception tag where we would say clock you'd line up in a base formation get to the line as quick as you can two guys are on two guys are off two by two and and you would uh, if you got a fire call, you would clock it. It's quick. You got to get the line, get set. Everybody's got to be set. You clock it. You got to, you know, you remember last year, uh, Jarvis getting really mad because somebody mm-hmm. wasn't on the, the right line of scrimmage and all that. 
it's it's tough. You got to be quick, but you got to be in a legal formation. But then there's a clock call that we used to have where we would be screaming it and the defense hears clock. They're like, okay, they're just going to spike it. But what it is actually is we have a fake spike and we would run two speed outs by the outside receivers hoping to catch the defense off guard and just get a couple, two, three, four more yards and make it an easier field goal attempt to get right. out of bounds. Now, this is what the I'm telling you, this is what the Browns were doing. I cannot confirm it, but they won't confirm it. They don't want people to know they have this thing in their play, but they won't confirm it. The same way they won't confirm who was wrong on that quarters coverage that busted, the palms coverage, because they just don't want to sell somebody up the river, but they also don't want to give away how they coach it, right? You're not going to be right. like, exactly. Well, we yeah, 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 we were doing that. Yeah. Yeah, we pass it off at 10 yards, and, well, you know, that depth is a tricky one for us. And then, you know, offensive coordinators are going to be like, all right, well, we'll run that exact same concept. Yeah, yeah, so, like, anyway, they won't confirm it, but I know this is what happened. Because if you watch it, he steps back on this left on the outside. Schwartz runs a speed out all the way to the field because the ball's on the right hash. On the right, you're supposed to get a speed out from uh, Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper, And if you look at it, he steps, fakes the spike, and looks at Cooper real quick, who's standing there, not moving, and clocks it. And then if you watch it longer on the TV replay, Cooper looks at him, shakes his head, and hits his chest to say, my bad. He should have gone out. He didn't understand. He had a brain fart. Cooper had quite a few brain farts. Great player. Best receiver they have, but quite a few week one brain farts from him in terms of alignment and motion and positioning. Uh, That was another one. So it tells me Quarterback thought he was getting that little boundary speed out, saw what was going on from Carolina, a little lackadaisical on defense, and wanted to throw it. Couldn't throw it. Boom, step back. Oh, shit. Spike it. That's what he had to do. I always taught quarterbacks, and when I was taught as a quarterback, if that happens, just roll out and throw it out of bounds. People are still – the D-line's not going to react quick enough. You can break the tackle box and just chuck it out of bounds. Or chuck it right down the line of scrimmage, just past the line of scrimmage, over his head, out of bounds. Because then there's a receiver in the vicinity. But – he got lucky. The Browns got lucky because that could have been a 10-yard penalty and a 10-second runoff. So you'd have had three seconds running on a 68-yard kick. Like that's a, That changes. And you'd be like, well, he made it from 68. It's clear. It ch- the trajectory changes from a kicker kicking 58 to 68. you got to shoot that thing out low. And it, you never know. You, ne- you never know. So I just wanted to address that because I don't think people out there have made it understood about why it looked the way it did and what their thought process was. You can even see in the TV replay, Stefanski get a little ticked. You could see him talking. He's yep. clearly upset like, oh. that it didn't, that, that Coop didn't get out and they couldn't, because they could have gotten cheap yards. Corner was off. It would have been easy. Uh, instead of being a 58, it could have been a 52 or something. And that matters. Every yard matters. Now with Cade, he's got a leg and you're not as concerned, but you know, margin for <laughs> error and all that stuff always matters. So wanted to clear that up uh, just, just because I think it hasn't been cleared up and I didn't get a chance to write on it. So um, yeah, we'll take a quick break guys. And then uh, we'll be back and we'll start into our uh, new segment. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jared, we're here, man, for 10. Not, we don't have 10. I'm not going to put a number on this thing, folks. We got burning questions. So we're calling these Burning Browns questions. It's my last name. It's Burning River. It's all it all works, Jared. I think we got this done on the fly pretty quickly. So we're calling it Burning Browns questions every Wednesday, and we have some good ones here. I think the first these are kind of like hot takes or overreactions, but it can be overreaction to positive or overreaction to negative. But they're kind of in question form, so that's why we did it that way. The first one is: Is Donovan Peoples Jones better than we thought? Is he is he is he capable of being a better receiver than we have given him credit for? And and I say that because he had a nice game and he continues to make those contested catches, Jared. Yeah. I think what's interesting about DPJ is what type of receiver is he, right? Like at, at one point it was, okay, is he going to be the deep threat, the big play guy, uh, but really not the consistent number two, which he's not a number one. I don't think anybody would ever say he's number one. I don't think you're going to say that, but, he can't be number two if he's not consistent, right? You need that number two guy to be really consistent. So then what is he? But I think you saw really a a focus, uh, a refinement, uh, whether it's, you know, it's third year, right? All of that kind of stuff. You know, I think Donovan Peoples-Jones showed me yesterday that he can be that high level number two receiver. And if he can do that with Amari Cooper rounding into form, figuring it out, like he was a little off, uh, and when I say rounding into form, I felt like he rounded some things off in week one. Then all of a sudden, those questions about the wide receiver room really go down pretty quickly because David Bell is, is a number three. Anthony Schwartz is a random number four, can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I love what I saw of it out of people's Jones. And what I think you saw, and I saw two training camps ago uh, in person, was a player who really does have it. I just don't think he's explosive enough yeah. and ever going to be a good enough route runner to be that true number one. But I'm not sure Amari Cooper really is at this point in time, a top level number one. So do they really have kind of a, a two a and a two B, but that be good enough because they have both of those guys. You know, I love those contested catches using his size um, and, and really being focused, which we know is really important in those situations. Yeah, he's not a separator. I think we can really draw the line there. I mean, there's two most important skills for a wide receiver. Catching the rock is 1A and 1B is separation. That's how your life becomes easier as a receiver, makes your quarterback's life easier. He's not a separator. He's not twitchy enough. So he's a created, uh, he's a catch creation guy at the catch. I kind of think he's like a poor man's Kenny Galladay. And people sleep on Galladay now because he's fallen out in New York and got this big contract. But I think he's a version of that. Um you know, I, I I don't think that's even in question anymore. He's not really a vertical guy all the time. I think he can do that stuff, but they want to use him in a bunch of different ways. And his ability to catch difficult throws and difficult parts of his body in terms of the framing down low, up high, back shoulder, it's useful. It's a great tool. Now, again, he's not going to separate from people and create wide open windows in man-to-man coverage. That's why we saw Carolina run 26 snaps of man mm-hmm. cover, cover one or man free because they don't fear Cleveland's receiver separate and quarterback is tied into that. They don't feel the fear the quarterback deciphering things and fitting throws into tight windows right now. So they ran the most cover one snaps in the league week one. I'll be very interested to see what they do week two. I don't know who Carolina has, but if that's just a trend for them or if they game plan that for Cleveland. So um, yeah, Donovan is, is, 
it's a key year. It's a very key year, not only for contract and NFL future, but for what the Browns need from the position. And if he can continue to be a six catch, 60, 70, 80 yard guy, that's exactly what they need. And if you complete those throws to Donovan, sorry, he is Donovan to Amari, then, you know, you have a hundred yard guy. So that's exactly what you want. 150 to 180 yards from those two guys is ideal. Um, Okay. Next overreaction, burning question, burning Browns question. I got to get used to saying our new slogan (laughs) here for marketing purposes. Is it time to call the 2020 draft? I've said this way back when, when that draft took place, I said, there's going to be two teams that are compared here because of their first two rounds. The Bucks took Tristan Wirfs, the pick after Cleveland took Jedrick Wills, and the Bucks took Antoine Winfield, the pick after the Browns took Grant Delpit. Listen, those are two guys who have played all pro football uh, in in Tampa Bay. I th- is it time to really give up on being the better end of that, or is there still time? I, I think it's a very fair question because I think Jed is a talented dude. I spelled it out on Twitter last night, Jared. I think he's a talented dude, but... He is the only thing stopping him from being among the league's best is himself. He doesn't play hard all the time, takes plays off, doesn't finish plays, doesn't have a nasty streak, and he doesn't go about his job on the field watching film as a professional should, which is disheartening considering some of the guys around him and some of those other things. I I, I left feeling cringy, like, like uneasy watching that, knowing how it would feel for a player and a coach in film review, having to talk about some effort on some of these plays. And there's no reason for that. There's no, there's no reason. And it's always been a hell. I've always commented on this with him. He doesn't finish plays, but again, I reiterate, he's one of the most talented offensive linemen I've ever seen from a, can he do it perspective, but the, the, the drive isn't there. And then Delpit is, he's fine. Makes a nice interception. He's coming along. He's coming back from the Achilles, but like he he's not helping in deep coverage. And I just wonder if he's only a forward facing player and it kind of limits the scope of what he can ultimately be. Uh, And I'm a little nervous about him, too, uh, as far as like the hopes that we had when they selected him. So I guess the question still yet is, do you think the Bucs won that whole ordeal? Yeah, I think they did. And I think it's um, it's it doesn't doesn't mean they the Browns did bad. I think. Yeah, it is a sign of, you know, when you try to go young and you want upside and you want youth and you want tr- some traits. Now, Tristan Wurst has all the traits in the world, but there was some things that you're like, OK, you know, he's, is he able to whatever? But I think it is, they, especially with Winfield over, or Delpit over Winfield, it's absolutely a time where they said size, youth, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we'll figure the rest out. But Winfield knows football right like you you can't coach that kind of football iq he does have the some of the physical talents but he's not that big all that stuff i think it's just a time where they bet on the upside and the some of the measurable stuff and lost a little bit but they didn't you know this isn't trent richardson this isn't johnny manzel this isn't justin gilbert would be a great example of of young and toolsy kind of guy these are just you know grant delbert is has been good to okay. Sometimes he makes some really big plays like he just talked about. And and Wills has the skill set. And on the offensive line, I'll, I'll just be honest, I just don't want a weak link. And so can Jedrick Wills not be a weak link? And can he be good to very good most of the time? If we get that, the, then it's great. The problem is Wirfs is great all the freaking time. And Antoine Winfield is the type of safety that, 
probably isn't going to allow some of the uh, blown coverages we've seen over the last two years. So you you just pay for that kind of risk, that little bit of a gamble. Yeah, it is a little bit of a gamble. And um, it's not, again, I think your point is the one that should be reiterated here. It doesn't mean the Browns got, they, they screwed up everything badly, but when you're comparing the two things, like the Bucks have had better players there. I mean, they're just better players in the NFL. So we'll see if it could turn. Nothing's decided. We're only year three here. Nothing is fully decided, but uh, definitely starting to feel like it's uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. heavily now in favor of the Bucks in terms of picking the, the two right guys there. Next one is, is interesting. Um, <laughs> is it time to question Joe Woods? And, and I, and I mean this from, um, you know, if you follow my work and how I how I talk about, co- I'm very patient. I'm very patient. I, I think that coaching, there are a million aspects of it that you don't understand the common fan, and I don't either. I'm not claiming to know everything, but there are, and I'm I'm willing to admit that there are things they do that I don't know. Like, you know, the the Woods gets blamed for things maybe his position coaches should have gotten right or didn't do right on game day or in prep or whatever. Uh, I'm I'm willing to be very patient, but. The miscommunication stuff is it's too it's too much of a trend. And it and it's just like you're watching it and and you're you're saying, Okay, how how does this happen? How how can these things happen to Cleveland seemingly far too often? Uh it, that yields big plays. And not every bust is a big play, you know. I, I get that, but it's just like there's the, the a trend is a trend at this point, and you cannot argue whether it is, and the stuff is it, it continues to pop up. There are games they go without them, but there are too many games they go with them. And, you know, not calling, not, not somebody in the box, not relaying to him or him, not himself noticing that they only had 10 on the field in that throw 14, nothing throw to Ian Thomas for 50 yards. And the, the, the secondary scrambling, to try to figure out who's covering up number two to the field side. And they don't get back and cover up the boundary slot seam like, because they only have 10 and they're trying to get another guy rushed on the field. It's got to be a timeout. There has to be communication there. How could that not be the case? And the confusion in their quarters coverage, which has been an issue so often in Woods tenure, it's like, listen, man, you can be the smartest guy ever on a whiteboard, but if you can't take what you know in your brain and have your players apply what you know, then that's a failure. So I just, um, I'm not calling for someone to be fired, but I think the question here is, is it fair to be really worried about the long term of Joe Woods as the DC here? You know, I'm going to, maybe it is a hot take. I, at some level, I feel like this is a situation where much like some of the big play receivers, you just got to accept the drops is that there's a part of this that, you know, I've seen the Greg Williams defense. I've seen, you know, defensive coordinator after defensive coordinator that really may not make those huge mistakes. Greg Williams would just have Jabril Peppers in the parking lot to make sure it doesn't happen, but not really call a good game otherwise. And so in a lot of ways, I'm I'm almost willing to accept it. It's terrible, right? Those two plays were uh, just under half the Carolina Panthers' net yardage in in Week One, right? Two plays, 125 yards, just a little under their net yardage. But um, in the end, what is better out there, right? And so, what I really th- wonder about, especially, I mean, Week One, we know it was emotional, right? We know John Johnson, we know Miles Garrett took that some of that stuff personally. And, and John Johnson, I think, and you're, you've got the film jumped a route to think, thinking he was going to get something there. Um, but yeah, how do you communicate that down? I don't know, but I think for me, it's man, those suck. 
but if there's two busted plays and the rest of the defensive calls and and the rest of the defense is is going well, it really just points to maybe John Johnson's not the leader he needs to be. Uh, maybe somebody in that secondary because I haven't seen a lot of busted uh, things when it came to defensive line. You know, huge uh, gap integrity issues, those kind of things. Uh, linebackers, same thing. It's been in the secondary, so uh, maybe that's because that's the big plays, right? They happen in the pass game. But it just makes me wonder, is there really a guy there, right? Uh, it's not Grant Delpit. It, it's supposed to be John Johnson, but it just doesn't feel like there's anyone getting things organized in the back end. Uh, Anthony Walker is, you know, the captain, linebacker, all of that. It just doesn't feel like anybody's organizing that back end. And Joe Woods is a defensive backs coach. That doesn't seem like something that'd be hard to figure out, right? I know that seems sounds like I'm trying to minimize it. But I've seen bad defensive coordinators. I've seen bad defenses. I love everything about, not everything, I love most of the things about Joe Woods' defense, except these stupid blown coverages. They're yeah. just kind of freaking huge. They are huge because NFL games swing on two or three plays. And I think you also have to question Jeff Howard, who's their past game coordinator on defense and their defensive backs coach. Like, he should catch scrutiny for this. It's under his watch, too especially being in the film room with those guys in the, that specific secondary every day. You're right. You don't see a bunch of linebacker bus. And I can tell you right now, it's harder to see D line bus uh, because the, the, right. it's, it's tough to know what they're always tasked with, but they're not perfect either. But secondary stuff is like, Hey man, if my, uh, <laughs> you know, if my oil is having an issue or something like that, or is something minor spark plug issue, that's like your D line, your linebackers, but your secondary gets an issue that's like your engine your transmission it right like yeah. it's gonna kill everything so it's a wildly important role that they have got to figure out they cannot they're too talented to allow that game to to go where it went because of those coverage bust issues so also like assistant D, db's coach brandon lynch like guys who are doing this who are in the film room and on the field with them every day to not know when to pass off that coverage for that 75 yard touchdown is a massive problem so um anyway a couple more here. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll finish up with our last two. Okay. So last one, last two to me are interesting. Jack Conklin, you float, you talked about this before the pot. Is he worth floating as a trade candidate now? If, 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 um, you know, if, if Hudson's going to be a, a decent right tackle that you want to develop and get out there and play all the time, he's pretty good. And I thought he was getting better by the end of last year. I wrote this off season. I thought he was going to be the guy to eventually take over that role at right tackle. Uh, the same with Nick Harris before Nick's injury at center. So is Conklin worth floating around for somebody like a Dallas to trade for, to get something out of him on a guy who's only going to be around for another year anyway? I think it's an interesting proposition. Most people would lean no. You want to have O-line depth and injuries happen, and I get it. I'm totally with that. But, man, if somebody like Dallas called you and said, we'll give you a three for Conklin, I mean, I have a hard time not listening to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I, the Browns are trying to thread a needle between developing players, right, they, you know, and keeping certain players who are developing and competing right away, right? There's that balancing act, 11 games of Brissett, um, and then after that, Watson. I just think with Conklin, you know, he restructured his contract. I don't know exactly how that works out. Obviously, Jack Duffin could could tell us, uh, or over the cap or Spotrack could tell us. But the reality is, is he's a talented player. He's good. Um, maybe it's not something where you float him right now, but 
he gets back on the field. Probably I'm going to, I'm guessing they're going to do the OBJ route. OBJ sat week one and two last year, came in in week three. That would make sense to me that they do that for that Thursday night football instead of having him on a short week, week three after playing for the first time in week two. So he plays week three, maybe he plays week four and another team has a big injury on the at right tackle or maybe even left tackle or however they would kind of adjust. And all yeah. of a sudden the Browns are, you know, sneaky, like, yo, third round pick and that receiver or a tight end or, you know, again, whatever it is. And that team is desperate in the NFC, right? Is that a, you know, San Francisco would be a great example of a team that Green Bay, who's had some offensive line struggles. I just think it makes a lot of sense to be open to that possibility. And I want to get ahead of that from a hot take perspective that James Hudson looked really good in week one. If that continues in week two and then they give it back to Conklin, you can have a lot of confidence in him. Uh, if they find the right deal, uh, maybe they save a little money on the cap uh, and then they they recoup something from their Deshaun Watson trade and still have some quality depth there on the offensive line. They signed Joe Haig. So, you know, they have some players there and they believe in Bill Callahan. It just makes sense to me. Yeah, it hasn't been talked about it at all. It's really the first time I've heard it float in. I think it's an interesting thing to interesting thing to consider if a team like again takes one team that gets desperate and all of a sudden you got a you got a nice pick on your hands because they can't figure out anything else so we're going to close with this one i think it's pretty simple is Cade york already a top five browns kicker I, I, like rattle off some of the names you had he's probably right on the fringe uh, you guys are probably laughing but <laughs> he's got a lot to prove i get it but like he's extremely talented and we can't we can't deny that so Let's do this. In in their prime, are you taking this player over Cade York right now? So let's do that. Go Phil through the Dawson. names. Phil Dawson. Yeah, you yeah, you would take Phil over him right now. Yes. Yep. Lou Groza, none of us saw him play, but so Lou I, I got an autograph from him when I was really young before he passed away. So I, I what's up? I know all about Lou. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. You're taking you, you're taking you're Lou. taking Lou. Yep. I don't really know Don Cockcroft Cockcroft. Um, but you know, he he made 216 of his 328 attempts, so I'm not feeling that uh, field goal percentage right there. No, was he the toe basher in the 80s? Someone's going to laugh. I should know Brown's history better than this, but I no, like they Con- had a... he was 68 to 80. Uh, okay. and then they went to then they went to Matt Barr, who I remember from my childhood. Um, you know, I was a fan of Matt Barr, but 143 of 193. Eh, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do there with him. Um, I think I'm going to be excited about, uh, Cade York, but Barr is a part of my childhood as is Matt Stover from 1991 to 1995, 108 of 134. So an 81% field goal percentage. I think that's really, you know, the five, four or five that we're going to be talking about here. I think everything else is, we know most of the names and we're like, yeah, he's, we'll definitely take Cade York over. Billy Cundiff, Cody Parker, Travis Coons, Austin Seibert, Zane Gonzalez, Greg Joseph, all those jazz. Yeah, so you have um, Stover through his career goes on to kick 96 through 2008 in Baltimore, and Uh then he kicks 09 in Indy. He goes 471 of 563, 83%. I'd probably take Stover over him right now because they're still unknown, but as far as a pure talent, I can't think of – Many others, man. Like, I, I would, uh, I would, I would take Cade at some of the top of these things in terms of, again, you never know how guys ment- mentally are going to be able to handle things as they go through their career because it's such an uh, up and down sport, the kicking aspect of the sport. But, but man, he is 
extremely talented. The ball really jumps off his foot, and I would put him up there with some of the most talented kickers in the league. We'll see if that manifests itself into a good career, but at the minimum, extremely good kicker uh, from a talent perspective, and that matters. Again, it matters. So uh, top five, I, would you take him? I would probably take him like four. Yeah, I, take yeah four. I'm taking – I think four is probably going to be the right spot for him. I like it. I like it. All right, man. Well, that's a wrap. That's that's our st- uh, first episode of Burning Browns Questions. Every week we're going to do here with, with Jared on – uh, Wednesdays, we're going to court them Tuesday nights. So just in case anything breaks, you know, we, we don't know about that. We're recording this at about seven o'clock on Tuesday. So that's a wrap. Jared, thanks for joining, man. And looking forward to doing this all year. Absolutely, brother. Good to talk to you. Enjoy your evening. Thanks, man. Again, check out Chalk Talk replay from last night. Check out OBR's, uh, you know, OBR weekly show on Twitch. That one's available for you tonight as well. Seven o'clock. So thanks for joining today's episode. Continue to check out all of the work over at the OBR on the website. Check out Jared's work at USA Today. And then, you know, continue to uh, you know, keep checking out this podcast every day. I always appreciate that. The in-season numbers always are pretty startling for how many listens we get from you folks. So appreciate you guys for supporting this pod. Have a great Wednesday and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.